It is amazing in some ways to think that we are at the end of 2020. Kelly and I were talking about this on, on Sunday afternoon or Monday. And, and in some respects, this seems like this has been the longest year in the history of ever. Uh, but at the same time, there's just some ways in which it feels like time has flown by. But regardless, we are at the end of one year and the beginning of another. And when we get to this time of the year, typically we, we do a combination of things. We begin to look back and we reflect. A lot of the news articles are like top news stories of the year, people we lost of the year, things along those lines. But we also begin to look forward. Uh, probably some of us have started making goals and plans for next year, things we hope to accomplish uh, in, in 2021. And when we do, we, we some, some people make resolutions, some people make goals, depending on how you want to word it. Uh, and it's probably because we do it so often, it's probably somewhat ingrained in our, our character and our, just our lives to begin to think in these terms in this particular week that we're involved in. I, I did some Googling today, and, and according to the omniscient Google, the ten most common New Year's resolutions or goals people make involve exercising more, losing weight, getting organized, learning a new skill or a hobby, live life to the fullest, save money or spend less money, quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends, travel more, and read more. Now those goals or resolutions are pretty common. In fact, I, I look back at a sermon I preached 10 years ago on this idea, and I had Googled then. And this was a brand new article, and they these ten are essentially the same in 2020 as they were in 2010. The world just doesn't change much. We like the same sort of things. We hope to make progress in the same sort of ways. But when we look at this, one of the things that stands out, and I mentioned this Sunday morning, is these goals, these resolutions are all physical. They're all natural. There's not any spiritual resolutions, any spiritual goals that people want to make. They want to improve their physical life. They want to improve their mental life. But not many are taking the time to resolve or to make goals to improve their spiritual life. Now, as disciples of Jesus, there's nothing wrong. It's good to make goals and resolutions for the new year if that's what we want to do. But as disciples of Jesus, as we think to make physical goals and mental goals, we should also have spiritual goals, spiritual resolutions. So we're going to look at Matthew 6.33, just this one verse, and I think it gives us what what should be our main goal or our main resolution for every year, but particularly as we move into 20 and 21. And it says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your grace, your goodness, and the opportunity we have tonight to gather, to study your word, to, to just learn what you want from us. Father, this verse is not new. We have heard this verse many times, probably for many of us. It was an early children's church memory verse that we took to heart, something that we learned to seek first your kingdom. But tonight, Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and open the eyes of our understanding that we could see this in a fresh way and understand what it means for us. And we would. Let it challenge us and let it encourage us to make the decisions we need to make. Father, the world around us is spiritually dark. The world around us this year, evil has just has come out and has gone full force into the world. And the need for disciples of Jesus 
is for us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, trusting in you to do what only you can do in our lives. So, Father, as we look at whatever 2021 is going to hold, whatever plans or resolutions or goals we're going to make for the future, let us take into consideration our need to ensure that above all else we are seeking your kingdom and we are seeking your righteousness and we are living by faith in Christ our Savior. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech to say what you once said, nothing more, nothing less. Use this time to strengthen us, to encourage us, to prepare us to go into 2021 as fully devoted disciples of Jesus who are confident in the power and the greatness and the goodness of our God who are going to live for your glory no matter what. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Right, so one of the keys to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is to realize Jesus is talking to his disciples. We know there are multitudes who are there listening to him, but the way the Sermon on the Mount is... Set up, Jesus goes up on a hilltop, his disciples gather to him, he sits down and he begins to teach. This was a way that Jewish rabbis taught their disciples. The the multitude that's there that's gathered around, they're not the focus. In in a lot of ways, what this is, it's it's kind of like what we have here tonight. Right? There's the church that's here, but then there's the crowd that's on the live stream as well. And the main focus, clearly, is, is those who are here, those who are actively a part of our church. And then we're glad others can join us through the live stream. But the main focus for what we do as a church is for, for those of us who are here. And that's the way it was. The twelve were the main focus. Now, the reason this is important is the, math, the, the Sermon on the Mount is not about this is how you become a disciple of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is you, you are a disciple of Jesus, therefore, this is how you live. Right? Those who have already pledged themselves to live for Jesus are expected to go ahead and, and live the way Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, unbelievers, this isn't what they need to start with. They need to start with repenting of their sin, believing in Jesus Christ. Then at that point, they begin to live it out. As us, as we say, I am a disciple of Jesus, I have repented, I have believed, Jesus is Lord over my life, then the Sermon on the Mount gives us the way we are meant to live out our lives. So the verse we're looking at tonight, Jesus gives us the what I would say is the priority of our lives as disciples of Jesus, but to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now to seek first the kingdom is a significant wording. The idea is that seeking the kingdom of God is meant to be the priority in our lives. Now, the idea of the kingdom of God is is pretty far reaching. We don't have time to get into all of it. But for our part tonight, the main idea of the kingdom of God is the place where God rules. Right. So if I'm seeking the kingdom of God, then what I'm doing is I'm seeking God's rule and God's reign. But particularly, I'm seeking God's rule and God's reign here. Not not as much out there, that comes later. Primarily, the place we seek for God's will and God's reign is right here in our hearts and in our lives. So if you and I, as disciples of Jesus, if we are to seek first the kingdom of God, then we must seek to ensure Jesus rules and Jesus reigns in our lives. That is our primary focus. So to put this in the terms of Goals or resolutions for the new year, for a resolution or a goal for 2021, disciples of Jesus 
seek the rule and reign of Jesus in every area of their lives. So if we are going to have goals or resolutions for 2021, this should be our top resolution. I know you never know when that thing's going to go off and when it's not. Sometimes it's quiet and then all of a sudden it starts knocking out a rhythm. Um, But that is to be our top goal in every area of our life, to make sure Jesus is ruling and Jesus is reigning in our lives. Now, to follow this goal, to live this out in our life, requires us to consistently seek, because seek is also a main thing. We are to seek these things. And there are this goal requires us to consistently seek three practices. One is to seek proper priorities. Right? Seek proper priorities. The life we live reflects the priority we have. Now, this is important because it is the life we live which reflects our priorities, not what we state are our actual priorities. Right? It's easy to state anything is our priority. But it's a whole different issue when we live out that. Our lives, the lives we live, they reveal what are our priorities. Right? So I'll give you an example for me. If you were to ask me what is a priority, I would say, probably I would say, being fit or being in shape, working out is a priority. That's what I would say. However, it's been three weeks since I've been to the gym except to open it uh, and to leave. Right? So I, I say it's a priority, but I don't, I'm not at the moment living like it's a priority. Right? And so we don't want to just say something is a priority. We want to live it out in our lives. Because if our, if our priorities are, aren't right, our lives won't be right. And Jesus gives us the priority to seek first the kingdom. Right? So we are to seek out Jesus' rule and Jesus' reign as the priority in every area of our lives. That's this the priority. Now, that's a familiar concept. That's not a new idea for any of us here that we're to seek out Jesus' rule and Jesus' reign in every area of our lives as the priority. However, what I think we can do is oftentimes we can miss how significant the idea of in every area of our lives is because of what we've been taught about priorities. Or, or maybe we weren't taught it explicitly, we, we caught it as others lived it out. Now for me, I was taught proper priorities. The proper priorities a Christian should have in his or her life. And, and it went like this. Jesus first. Family Second, and then work and money, I just use those because now, I mean, when I was in youth group, we didn't teach us work and money. But it was Jesus first, family second, and then kind of the other stuff was fluid there. But in our case, as adults, it would probably be work and money. So for most of my life, this is the the assumption I lived under. This was the priority list. And, And this was the way you prioritized your life. Jesus first, family second, and then everything else just kind of went in there. No longer, though, do I think this is a a correct view. And it's not that the list itself is wrong, but it's incomplete. Right? Let me explain what I mean by showing some scripture. Two passages, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Colossians 3.17. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. Colossians says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So everything we do, down to eating and drinking, is to be done for the glory of God. And then whatever we do in word or deed, so that's that's everything, 
Whatever we say, whatever we do in our lives is to be done as a as a representative of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God and thanks to Jesus through him. So if we put those two ideas together, we could say everything we do in life down to what we eat and drink, what we do and say is to be done as a representative of Jesus, giving thanks to God in the process and done also for the glory of God. So this means we we must not do anything. We must not eat or drink anything. We must not say or do anything that would bring dishonor to God. We are to bring glory to God in every aspect of our lives, in all we do at all times in our lives. Now what I want us to do is to see how this connects the idea of priorities in our lives. Now the list we looked at is not a bad list. These are things in our life. So they are part of our priority. But they're not a part of our 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 priorities in a compartmentalized way. Right? Because the way I was taught what you have is you have your Jesus compartment. So Jesus is a priority. So every day you you do something. You read your Bible, you pray, you you make time for Jesus every day. That's the priority. Then you have your family compartment and you do family things and you care for your family. Then you, you know, you do your work and your money. You have each of these compartments and rarely do the compartments cross over. You have your quiet time with Jesus in the morning. You go to work and you take care of that. Then you come home and you spend time with your family. You, you know, you, you do all of these things, but there's no crossover. The things never are never a part of one another so much. And that's where it it falls short, because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Paul says it this way in Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, familiar passage. Paul saying because of all that Jesus has done, we are to live all of our lives surrendered to God to do his will in all things. Now, if we aren't careful, we can miss how fully we're meant to live this out. What it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, there's a, a, a translation, it's really a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson called The Message. And he does a wonderful translation of Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you. As the best thing you can do for him. Now I love particularly the first part. Your everyday ordinary going to work. Eating and sleeping. Walking around life. Place it before God. That is exactly the picture. Of be a living sacrifice. That there is no aspect of our lives. That is not lived as a living sacrifice. Right. So all of our lives. Is to be lived. Under the rule and the reign of Jesus. So I don't have a, a Jesus compartment and a family compartment and a work compartment and a money compartment. Instead, I have I just have my life and those things are all in there. And Jesus is Lord and he rules and he reigns over all of it. So when we think of it like that, think about how this would change. right? So our Jesus compartment. Now it just becomes my relationship with Jesus. Jesus is Lord over my relationship with Him. So that might become a 
Well, what does He want me to do? Right? What does, what does Jesus, as He's reigning in my life, what does He want me to do in my relationship with Him? Does He want me to start a quiet time if I don't have one? Does He want me to read through the Bible in 2021 if I don't have a Bible reading plan? Does He want me to, to increase how much I pray? Does He want me to go invite someone to, to church? Does He want me to talk to someone about Him? Does He want me to show someone His love in a practical way? What does Jesus want me to do in my relationship with Him? So you take that and it goes down to all of it. My family. Now I don't have a family compartment. I have my family and my relationship with my family. And Jesus is Lord over that. So what does Jesus want me to do in my family? Does He want me to work on loving my wife like He loves the church? Does He want me as a, as a wife, does He want you to, to work on submitting to, to your husband as unto Him? Does He want me to, to start a family worship time? Does He want me to put more effort into training up my children and how they should serve Him? What does Jesus want me to do in my family? Because He's Lord over my family. What does Jesus want me to do at work? Because it's not a work compartment. Work's a part of my life and Jesus is Lord. So does Jesus want me to, to focus more on working for Him or working for my employer as unto the Lord? Does Jesus want me to work on treating my co-workers better? Does Jesus, if I'm the boss, does Jesus want me to, to work more on treating my employees better? Does Jesus want me to be more diligent in how I work? What does Jesus want me to do with my work? And then money, again, becomes a, instead of a money compartment, it becomes money's a part of my life and Jesus is Lord over my life. So Jesus is Lord over my money. What does he want me to do with my money? Does he want me to save? Does he want me to get out of debt? Does he want me to give more to missions? Does he want me to take some money and go buy some groceries and take it to somebody who, who I know is struggling? Does he want me to pay somebody's bill that, that's, that I know is having a hard time? What does Jesus want me to do with my money? Now do you see how all these things change when our first priority is not, not just Jesus... But seeking Jesus' rule and reign in every area of our lives. Right? Because we can take all of our lives and that's how all of our lives. There's no aspect of our lives that's not meant to be lived as Jesus is Lord. So you can take everything in our lives, no matter what it is. And on it we could stamp Jesus is Lord. Because that's the way it's meant to be lived. And it changes everything. The priority isn't I have a time with Jesus and I go do my thing. The priority is seeking to ensure Jesus is ruling and reigning in every area of my life. This is the proper priority for a disciple of Jesus. This should be our number one priority. Not just not any time, but not, I mean not just in 2020, but all the time. But I, I truly, truly, I believe what we see in the world and how spiritually dark it is. The desperate need for disciples of Jesus is for us to be sure we are seeking first and foremost to ensure Jesus is Lord over our lives, that He is ruling and reigning. Over every aspect of our lives. The world 
I'm going to say this exactly right. The world needs less of our opinions and more of our lifestyle. There are loads of people with opinions and social media and blogs and everything gives everyone a platform. And what the world needs more than our words is our deeds. They need to see a light that shines. They need to see us being a city set upon a hill that draws attention out of the darkness that stands out. And will not stand out from the crowd and will not stand out from the darkness unless Jesus is Lord over all of our lives. Unless we are seeking to ensure Jesus is ruling and reigning in every area of our lives. And then we will stand out. We will be different to such an extent that as Peter says, people will say, why do you live the way that you live? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you act the way that you act? Why do you react the way that you react? Tell me about the hope you have within you. Then. We can tell them about the great God and glorious Savior who has come on our behalf. This is what the world needs. Desperately. Secondly, seek proper priorities. Secondly, seek to live righteously. So, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, righteousness in Scripture is spoken of in two different ways. There is... um, Positional righteousness and there is practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is the righteousness we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Right? So 2 Corinthians 5, what, 21, where it says that we are the righteousness of God in Him. So when we repent of our sins, we believe in Jesus Christ, our sin is taken away, and His righteousness is placed within us. That is positional righteousness. There's nothing we do. We just receive it into our lives. Then there is practical righteousness. Now, practical righteousness is the way we live on a day-by-day basis. And, And what this means for us is, partly, we are not only supposed to be righteous, we are meant to do righteous. Right? So we are righteous through Christ. But then we are also to live righteously. And, and while this undoubtedly speaks of both kinds, I believe the main thrust, because of the context, I believe the main thrust is on practical righteousness. Because practical righteousness reveals Jesus' rule And Jesus' reign over every area of our lives. And this is one of the ways we demonstrate Jesus is Lord is we live righteously. It's not enough that we say, I am righteous. He has made me righteous. But if I claim He has made me righteous and then I live in an unrighteous way, I undo with my life what I say with my words. So we demonstrate Jesus is Lord. Jesus is ruling and reigning through our righteous lifestyle. Now, as we think about the idea of living righteously, it's easy to look at the turn this to an idea of outward actions, a list of things we do and a list of things we don't do. And that's often the way we kind of look at it. But 
living righteously in light of Jesus ruling and reigning in our lives is much more than a list of outward do's and don'ts. Now, Scripture gives us a lot of ways, a lot of passages we could look at, but one passage that I think illustrates the power of practical righteousness or what it looks like better than any others is Psalm 24. And we don't have time to look at all of Psalm 24, but take some time and study it. But let me just show you some relevant verses. First, Psalm 24, 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? Now, the idea of the hill of the Lord and His holy place is being in His presence. So David's asking, who, who gets to live in a close relationship with God? Isn't that, the, isn't that what we all want to know? How do we live? Who, who gets to really know God well? Live close to Him, experience His presence in their lives on the regular. Now that's, we're, we're here, I mean, you wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night. That wasn't your desire. That's, that's why we come. Well, we don't have to wonder. The Bible answers the question. Right? The very next verse. He that, that hath clean hands and a pure heart, and hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor, nor swore deceitfully. This, there is in this passage, in this verse, a distinct emphasis on practical righteousness. But notice how the practical righteousness, it, it affects every area of our lives. But there is what we would typically think about. Righteous conduct, clean hands. Often in the Bible, when it wants to speak about our lives being clean or dirty, pure, impure, righteous or unrighteous, it speaks of our hands. Those that have clean hands are those who live righteous lives. Those who have filthy hands or dirty hands, it might talk about, they are ones who live an unrighteous life. So this is talking about our our day-to-day lives. So in our day-to-day lives, if we are trying to seeking to live righteously, we live in a way that our, our conduct, our actions, our reactions are morally, ethically, and biblically righteous. And I think that's biblically righteous is the key part of that, not just because what the culture would say is morally and ethically righteous is not necessarily what the Bible would say is morally or ethically righteous. And so we have to to do that. That's where really the big one, biblically righteous, our lives and our day to day life, how we live is biblically righteous. The Bible says this is the right way to act, react, to think, to talk. Everything like that. It also speaks of being righteous in our devotion. Right? Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. Now the idea of, of vanity is the same word in some places used to translate as idols. And it's an interesting word because it, it can mean nothing. Right? Idols in the, in the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms, the word they use often means something that is nothing. Right? And, and the point is, is stark. What it's meaning is... The idols people worship, they're nothing. They're not gods. They they have no power. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have feet, but they can't go anywhere. Our God is not nothing. He is different than them. So the idea here is we have not not a divided loyalty. We have given Jesus an undivided loyalty. Now, an interesting thing. If we're not careful, when we think about idolatry, we can narrowly limit it to worshiping Baal, right? Well, I don't worship Baal, or I don't worship Buddha, or I don't worship Muhammad, so I'm not, there's no way idolatry has a place in my life. But, 
the essence of idolatry is just giving something God's place in our life. We allow something else to be more important in our life than Jesus. We allow this to be the driving force of our life. We allow this to consume our, our devotion and it becomes the, the way we focus our lives. Now, we think about it like that. We realize an idol could be anything. An idol could be a house, a car, a job, a hobby, a position, money, sports, family, our spouse or our children. Comfort can be an idol. TV, sex, possessions, food, pleasure, power, anything. Anything we say, this, I'm going to do this because that's what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. This becomes an idol. Now what makes this really extremely hard is nothing on this list is inherently evil. And this list, of course, isn't exhaustive. But the reality is, you know, there are very few things that get in the way of our relationship with God that are on their own just inherently evil. Most of what exists in our world was created by God. We were meant to enjoy it. But we're meant to enjoy it in the right way. The problem isn't that we have a house or a car or TV or sex or possessions or food or power. The problem is when we allow those things to become ultimate in our lives. That, that's, that's in a lot of ways what an idol is. An idol is when we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. And at that point it becomes an evil thing. So an undivided heart to have to be righteous in my devotion to Jesus, it, it means, truly, it does mean I can't worship Baal or Muhammad or Things like that. But it also means Jesus is first. Jesus is first over relationships and houses and cars and jobs and sports. He he is first in all things. To be righteous in our devotion to Jesus, we must ensure He stays the focus and the priorities of our lives. We also have to be righteous in our speech. The last part says, nor sworn deceitfully. Scripture Teaches us God hates lying. Proverbs 6, 16 through 18, we're told there are six things the Lord hates and seven he detests. And among those things are a lying tongue and a false witness who pours out lies. That's pretty strong stuff. God hates lying in all its forms. God takes such a dim view of lying because He is a God of truth. His Word is called the truth. His Son is called the truth. His Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. So when we live in lies, we speak in lies, we are very unlike the God we serve. We are very unlike the Savior who died for us. We are not following the Word, which is the foundation of our life, and we are unlike the Spirit who resides within us. But the Bible also says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. It is his native language. When we live in lies, we speak in lies, we are far more like the enemy of our souls than we are the Savior of the world. Now, our text specifically mentions swearing, deceitfully lying. But I would be remiss if I did not say that being righteous in speech goes beyond lying. 
The New Testament and other places deal with other aspects of our speech. It also tells us we shouldn't use foul or abusive language. We shouldn't tell obscene stories or coarse jokes. All of this is what is meant by being righteous in our speech. And then finally it says, and has a pure heart. So we have to be righteous in our heart. Now I went out of order on purpose because in, in so many ways, a pure heart is the key to it all. What is in the heart comes out in the life. That's why... Proverbs tells us to guard our heart with all diligence. Out of it spring the issues of life. If if I am righteous in my heart, I'll have clean hands. I'll not lift up my soul into vanity. I'll not swear deceitfully. But if I'm not, then nothing else really matters. And and that's that's a huge thing. Blessed are the pure in heart for what? They shall see God. See, outwardly, we can clean up all kinds of things. We can change the way we speak, particularly around other people that we want to think a certain way about us. We can be sure no one sees our hands get dirty. We can be sure it appears we have an undivided loyalty to Jesus. But none of that affects you. None of the outward stuff we try to do to to look good or look a certain way, none of that actually fixes the heart. So if the heart is not pure, if the heart is not righteous, then the outward stuff is meaningless. We are like whitewashed tombs. We are beautiful on the outside, but inwardly we are filled with dead men's bones. We must be pure in heart. We must be righteous in our heart. Now, one last truth from Psalm 24, and we'll move on. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, blessing from the Lord particularly refers to the presence of God. So, we go back to the the beginning. Who gets to spend time with God? Who gets to have this close relationship and experience God's presence? Those who live in this way. And those who live in this way... They do receive blessing, not blessings, plural, blessings, singular, one blessing, and it is this blessing. This is the primary blessing we get for living a righteous life, is God. He is our great Savior. He is our great gift. He is our great reward. We get to spend time with Him. We get to experience Him. We get to be with Him now and in the world to come. But notice what else it goes on to say. This is the generation of them. That seek Him. That seek Thy face, O God. Now, think about that. Some, There are some who seek God. They seek His face. Who is it? Who are the ones who seek the Lord? It is those who have clean hands, a pure heart, have not lifted their soul up to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. The reality is we cannot honestly say our priority is seeking the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives if we are not seeking to live a practically righteous life. If I am seeking Jesus, I'm seeking His rule and His reign in my life, a natural outflow of that will be I will live righteous. I will seek to live a righteous life. And then finally, seek proper priorities. Seek to live righteously. And then finally seek to live confidently. Jesus says lastly in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added 
unto you. What are the these things he's talking about? Now, there is a larger context to verse 33. And it's about not worrying is the overall context of the passage. It starts in verse 25 and it goes to verse 34. And so I want us to quickly just kind of look at what these things are. So look at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, take no thought to your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, or your body, what you shall put on, is not life more than meat, the body more than raiment. So he mentions three things. Food, drink, and clothing. Not to worry about. Now those make up the basic necessities of life. We pretty well need food, drink, and clothing to survive. But Jesus isn't telling us here, by take no thought, He's not saying, don't prepare for life. Don't be lazy. He's not telling us, To be thoughtless or foolish. The Bible speaks often about the value of working. And of diligence. And of planning. And of being wise with our stuff. And what is given to us. Instead what Jesus is saying. Is not to be preoccupied. By the gaining of material possessions. That we fall into the trap of focusing our lives on these things. And devote ourselves to acquiring these things. Do not become so focused on the the stuff we can get in this life that that becomes what we're anxious about. That becomes what we're disturbed about. That becomes the priority of our lives is making sure we get ours. He's saying don't get so focused on these things you take little or no thought of me. Do not become so entangled by the affairs of this life that you forget there is a life to come. Now look at verse 31 and 32. Therefore take no thought again saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed. For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Jesus repeats the idea of not to worry. And he gives us two reasons not to worry. First is we're to live differently than those who don't know Jesus. Those who don't know Jesus. Well, they don't have a heavenly father. And and they don't know what he talks about in verses 26 through 30 about a heavenly father who cares for the fowls of the air. And if he cares for them, won't he care for you as well? Aren't you worth so much more than any of the animals of the field? The, the, The lost don't know there's a heavenly father that will provide and take care for them if they will seek first his kingdom. And so they live their lives focused on the the accumulating of wealth and stuff. They focus on all of those things. That's the priority in their life. That's the, the most important thing. And by devoting themselves to that, they reveal they don't know Jesus. They don't know their heavenly father. But as as disciples of Jesus, we're to live differently because we know We know we have a heavenly father. We know we have a God who loves us and will keep his promises to us because we have experienced his love through the cross. And we know a God who will send his only begotten son to die for our sin in keeping of a generation's old promise will surely do everything else. So we live confidently. Pursuing first the kingdom of God. Seeking to ensure Jesus is ruling and reigning in our life because we know. We know our Heavenly Father. And we know what He is like. And we know He will come through for us. Secondly, 
Verse 32. For your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of these things. This is probably a, a really good thing. I like this. He knows we have need. God doesn't have this unrealistic expectation for our lives. Right? We're not all meant to live monastic lives where we fast 39 days out of 40 and we wear sackcloth and ashes all the time and we've taken vows of poverty. This is not what Heavenly Father knows about us. He knows the needs we have. He is aware. He is aware of every need we have, everything coming up, everything which will come up. He, he knows. And since we know He knows, and since we know He cares, and since we know He will provide, we, we don't make that the focus of our life. We make the focus of our life seeking to ensure Jesus is ruling and reigning in our lives. Now when we talk about the idea of making sure Jesus is ruling and reigning in our lives and seeking not the things of this earth, there is an unfortunate and an irrational fear which seems to take hold of many Christians in our time. And the fear is if we make seeking the rule and reign of Jesus in our life, in all areas of our life, the priority of our lives, then we will end up homeless. We will end up starving. And we will die poor and penniless and miserable and naked. Now we would not say it in those words. But that's kind of how it comes across in our attitude and in the way we live. It is a fear that living for Jesus in the way he describes here will cause us to live a deprived life. That it will cause us to live a life that is joyless and penniless and possessionless and is just a mere existence and has nothing to show for now, doesn't that sound just like the abundant life Jesus said He came to give us? And I think part of the problem here is we, we tend to view the world first and foremost as Americans and not as disciples of Jesus. Now, I always want to say I'm not down on America. I am an American. But let's be honest. Americans look at the world differently than people in other parts of the world do. Because we are prosperous. Because we are pampered. Because we like our possessions. And so we tend to view the world, especially success and blessing, in light of financial prosperity, personal comfort, and cool stuff. And the reality is Jesus does not promise to give us financial prosperity, personal comfort, or cool stuff. He promises to give us what He knows we need. And therein lies the rub. What Jesus knows we need, and what we often think we need, aren't always the same thing. And we have to change how we view. We have to look First and foremost, as disciples of Jesus. I watched a video this morning, and it was a pastor in Vietnam or Cambodia. During the, the Khmer Rouge events, he was tortured and one of his legs was cut off. And before church, and before he goes to evangelize, 
he hops out into the woods. He cuts down a tree. He uses his machete to knock the bark off of it. He carries it back in. He chops it up and he lights a fire before church, before he goes out. If seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things are added to us, it means wealth and comfort and stuff. He he is sure getting the short end of the stick. But if it means getting what Jesus knows we need and having the abundant life Jesus has promised us, well, he certainly has that. He certainly has that. When we look at this as disciples of Jesus first, and we trust who our God is and what our God is like, we can confidently make seeking the rule and the reign of Jesus in our life the priority in our life because we know our God will come through. We may not have a Lincoln Navigator or a mansion or the latest, coolest, and best, but... We will have what we need because our God loves us. Our God cares for us. And a God who sent His Son to die for us would not drop the ball on something as small, basic necessities of life. We need to live confidently, not fearfully, in what we know our God is like. Now, I I use the term, the word seek. And all of these points intentionally. Because none of these actions are a one-time event. We're, we're not going to once for all make proper priorities. And it never be an issue again. We're not going to once for all seek and, and live righteously and it be that's it. We're not going to once for all live confidently and, and that's it. We're not going to once for all have Jesus say Jesus is ruling and reigning in my life, and and that is it. We have spiritual enemies who will fight against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And and here's the thing. The devil is clearly a part of it, and I don't want to undermine his. But let's be honest. The greatest enemy to living like this, it's not the devil. It's not even the world. It's my heart. It's your heart. Our flesh is is already crying out against this. No! No! No, we can't do that. No! We can't sacrifice. No! We can't deny ourselves anything. No! And so it is going to be a constant fight against the flesh. And when we conquer the flesh, the world is going to come along and say, that's awful stupid. The world isn't going to be, man, the thing is, the world like that, it's not going to be like some atheist professor at Harvard. It's going to be somebody that would profess faith in Jesus. Come on. You don't want to get too carried away with that stuff. That's silliness. Come on, Jesus just wants you to be happy. You you just need to to give in to that. Quit. You're not a monk. We're We're not living like that. Just be happy. And then if we conquer the world, well, that's when the devil then begins to to come. But make no mistake, he is way down the list in the enemies here. Primary enemy we will face in this is right here. And so we will have to be diligent to ensure 
We are seeking the rule and the reign of Jesus in every area of our lives. We are making sure he is the priority of our lives and and we are living out righteously and confidently. It is a constant undertaking. So as we close, I want to ask you two two ish questions. Is this the life we're living? Could we honestly say I am seeking above all else to ensure Jesus is ruling and reigning in my life? That is seen in my priorities, the practical righteousness of my life, and the confident way in which I live. And if it's not, then what changes do we need to make in 2021? What do we need to do down here so that we can get this up here in the squared away? And then the other question, and perhaps the bigger question, is this even the way we want to live? Do we want to live consistently seeking to ensure Jesus is ruling and reigning in every area of my life? And this being seen in our proper priorities, our practical righteousness and our confident living in the goodness and the grace and the goodness and the majesty of God. If I would say no, it's not the way I want to live. What does that say? about our relationship and our devotion to Jesus. It's a hard issue, and it has to start there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion, worthy of our seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness above all else. You have proven yourselves worthy of living confidently, trusting. You have cared for us. You have got us through. You have done so much. Each of us tonight, if we were to look back at our lives, we could see we would just have testimony after testimony of ways you have provided for us, ways you have been good to us, ways you have shown yourself mighty on our behalf. Take what we've looked at tonight and challenge all of us in this. Help us to see, am I seeking Jesus' rule and Jesus' reign in every area of my life. And if not, why not? And if not, what do I need to do? Draw us close to you. Let us seek this out. Let us experience your goodness and grace presence in our lives. And make us as individuals and as a church a light that shines brightly in the darkness. Let this dark world see the light of Christ in us as individual disciples and us as a church. Let it shine so brightly it is unmistakably you. Not that we're awesome people, not that we have squared ourselves away, but that it is something beyond what we could do. And they would say, why? What? I want what you have. And then with great confidence and great joy, we could tell them about our wonderful Savior and our Heavenly Father who loves us and will care for us. Let 2021 be the year that you use us and work through us to accomplish your will in Guymon, Goodwell, Hooker and Texhoma in ways we have never experienced and in ways we could never imagine. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.